This week's podcast is sponsored by the book, Glory Lost and Found, How Delta Climbed from Despair to Dominance in the Post-9-11 Era. It's Delta's inspirational turnaround story, written by the editors of Airline Weekly. Lively and informative, just like this podcast. Available in hardcover, paperback, Kindle, and audiobook formats. Hop on Amazon.com and search Delta Book. In the few years we've been doing this show, we've opened with Ryanair plenty of times. And that's again the case today because, again, that airline has seized our attention. Simply put, Ryan is redefining the expectations of the often beleaguered airline industry. In the fourth quarter of 2017, the airline posted a 9% operating profit margin. That is an astounding figure for Europe's off-peak Q4. For the full year, Ryan posted a 24% margin, which might just end up being the best of any airline in 2017. Is Ryanair the most successful? airline in the world. Is it entering uncharted territory here? As usual, I've got questions. I'm Jason Cottrell, Vice President of Airline Weekly, and here with me to answer these questions is our own airline omniscient, Seth Kaplan, Managing Partner <laughs> of Airline Weekly. We're starting with Ryanair, but we're not stopping there. We're going to check in on Wizz Air, Korean Spirit, Air Canada, WestJet, and others. Plus, we're going to discuss Norwegian's Gasly Quarter. It's all coming up in the Airline Weekly Lounge. Thanks for joining us. We're starting the show with Ryanair, which posted a full year, 24% operating profit margin in 2017. Real quick, Seth, how good is 24%? It's excellent. As you said in the intro, best among all airlines that have reported so far and probably going to be the best of all of them. You know, I don't see anybody else here due to report who has any chance of, of beating them. Yeah, it, it, there, there you are. Um, the, the numbers speak for themselves. And it, it continues ascending. Uh, that 24%, by the way, not despite issues. I mean, if if you were paying only attention to uh, to some of the headlines out there toward the end of the year, especially, you know, mass flight cancellations and, and all the rest of it. Uh, so a year not without its challenges. That's a sustainable model, if ever there was one, an airline that can that can encounter those challenges and, and still put up numbers like the ones Ryanair is putting up. Obviously, this is not a one-year, one-off thing. Really, this has been a developing story for seven years and counting. In my opening, I said Ryan is redefining expectations. Is that a fair statement? Yeah, you know, as I said, the twenty-four percent—that's that's that's its third year with an operating margin in the twenties, and it's actually risen each year. So, you know, we've seen other airlines up there. In fact, at times, you know, airlines like Oh Alaska and Allegiant have topped it. But you know, as other airlines like those that I just uh, mentioned—two good um, examples—sort of come down from their perch, even though they're doing fine by most other standards. Uh, Ryanair keeps well. Look, they they have this this uh th- th- this internal uh, campaign they call always getting better. Uh, and you know that's certainly what's happening with their with their operating margins. And so an airline that can that can sustainably produce margins like those, an airline that you know by the way did fine uh, you know back during the uh the the fuel bust, even though it had some bad hedges that that prevented it from doing even better. 
you know, fine during the recession, all the rest of it. And here uh, in, in, in a rather good environment, revenue wise, in Europe also doing fine. Yeah, it really seems like they're, they're structured as well as any airline in the world to do well, uh, kind of regardless of what's going on around. Ryanair is getting a little lucky. The economy in Europe is ascendant. They also made some terrific bets on fuel hedges. And then looking ahead, we see rising labor costs on the horizon. Does this suggest that 2017 will be a peak year for Ryanair? Well, uh, you know, there, there's a lot to be excited about if you're them, but also some uh, some challenges for sure. Uh, yeah, they, they are um, still a an airline that believes in, in active fuel hedging. Uh, they hadn't been an active fuel hedger way back if you go back to sort of the middle part of last decade. And then what happened was, uh, you know, with fuel peaking in 2008, they were lightly hedged at a time when everybody thought, you know, that must have meant you were stupid because uh, because what could fuel ever do other than just go up forever? So you had to be hedged, right? Then uh, finally, they started doing it. And oh, by the way, it turns out fuel can also go down. And then you've got bad hedges out of the money hedges. Um, but anyway, uh, so, you know, partly depending on what happens with fuel prices, uh, you know, if they continue to rise with things as they are now, that actually gives Ryanair an advantage, even if it pays more fuel, more for fuel rather, um, than when fuel is cheap, it, it, it uh, you know, has an advantage over more lightly hedged airlines. Um, but yeah, you know, in terms of netting out um, everything, uh, I mean, look, Air Berlin and Monarch collapsed, uh, well, mostly and partly through the year, respectively. So 2017 uh, didn't even include the benefit of all of that, whereas 2018, you know, those airlines are gone the whole time. You know, what's going to happen with Alitalia? What's going to happen with Norwegian? Spoiler alert. I know you said you wanted to talk about them later in the show. Uh, so, you know, a, a lot of, uh, you know, potential chaos that depending on what happens could, could play to Ryanair's benefit. On the other hand, uh, you know, I mentioned that operational distress, um, you know, even though uh, a lot of that's in the past already and, and you know, they'll be fine uh, in terms of that, it is going to result uh, in, in permanently higher labor costs. I, I mean, you've got uh, now Ryanair recognizing unions, uh, negotiating uh with pilots collectively, uh, you know, not all pilots at once. It, it wants to, you know, negotiate with with pilots in different regions. You know, this is all going to result in in higher labor costs uh, for sure. But you know, even having said that, you know, with what they're saying so far about what they think it's going to do to them, uh, that would have just pushed that operating margin figure that twenty four percent would have been like a point and a half lower. Uh, still would have been the most profitable airline in 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 the world. Um, so yeah, opportunities and threats, but probably more of the former than the latter. We could talk about Ryan for the whole show, but we've got other airlines to get to, including one that is very similar to Ryan and also enjoying terrific results. I'm talking about Wizz Air, who in 2017 wasn't as lucky as Ryan when it came to fuel. Yeah, although that's almost good news. You know, when when uh, you know when. A difference in fuel hedges is is uh, you know explains part of a difference in in uh, results in a bad way. I mean that that always takes care of itself uh, sooner or later. And it was just it was just kind of more like most airlines. Ryanair uh, did very well with its uh, fuel hedging strategy last year. But look, most airlines paid a little more for fuel. In some cases, a lot more for fuel. And and, and Wiz was was no exception to that, uh, which indeed. Pushed down its its full year operating margin to sixteen percent, down from seventeen percent a year earlier. Um, 
you know, if you look just at the fourth quarter, they spent uh, 33% more on fuel. But this, of course, a rapidly growing airline. They did grow their capacity in, in available seat kilometer terms by 23%. So they're paying more per gallon. You know, it still adds up to uh, rather uh, solid results was was had a, a very good 2017. That 17% ranks it among the higher airlines uh, in the world among those who are reported so far. And what's your outlook for Wiz in 2018? Yeah, uh, look, I, I mentioned the when we were talking about Ryanair, uh, you know, of course, Air Berlin having collapsed, uh, Monarch having collapsed. With Air Berlin in particular, Nikki, um, part of it, although it's still flying, it's been rescued by its, by its now by its uh, former founder. Um, you know, it's smaller than it once was, and Wiz, uh, you know, pounced on Vienna, uh, where where uh, where Nikki's based. Um, you know, it's flying now from Frankfurt, just like Ryanair. It has its eyes on Alitalia, ready to pounce on Rome, uh, d- depending on what happens there. In terms of fleet, looking forward to its first A three twenty one Neo. That that's that's of course a big deal. We're talking about. You know the narrow body with probably the lowest unit costs out there. Um, so, so that too an opportunity for an airline that that, that obviously makes its money uh, having very low uh, unit costs and 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 packing planes full of of low fare customers. That's that's just a perfect aircraft for uh, for that. So uh, so yeah, all kinds of opportunities. Although uh, Wiz again is more exposed to these uh, somewhat higher fuel prices uh, than is Ryanair. Okay, we're jumping all over the place this episode. Next up is Korean Air, which reported an 8% operating margin in Q4, up from 6% the year before. Korean success comes from a number of favorable trends. Seth, can you run down the list? Yeah, and and the diplomatic dispute between South Korea and China really first resolved itself uh, partway through the fourth quarter. So, so the the great news for Korean is that figure, as you said, went from six six percent to eight percent. You know, two points higher compared to a year earlier, despite not really getting the full benefit yet of of that being uh, resolved. Uh, no, a, a lot's going well. I mean, outbound tourism to Europe uh, has 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 absolutely rebounded. You might recall a year earlier uh, that was still depressed because of, of security fears. Uh, also, outbound tourism in general doing well because the Korean won, the currency, has, has appreciated, which of course gives South Koreans more spending power when they travel abroad. And a stronger currency also depresses costs for most airlines around the world because their costs are dominated in, denominated rather in US dollars. A lot of their costs anyway, their aircraft ownership costs and their fuel costs, for example. So you know, when your currency strengthens against the dollar, that's, that's generally a good thing. Um, ASEAN routes, uh, Southeast Asia, twenty uh, percent revenue drop. Yeah, just a lot of things going well. And, and oh, by the way, cargo. Well, let's put it this way: you kind of can't just say "by the way, cargo" when you're talking about Korean Air. It's a big part of the business. Back to twenty six percent of Korean Air's revenues, it had become a less important part of Korean Air's business only because cargo revenues had dropped so much. But uh, cargo again. Doing well for Korean. Korean Air has been outperforming Asiana for a while now. For the year, Asiana posted a 4% margin compared to Korean's 8%. And that's before the benefits of the Delta relationship really kicks in. What is Asiana doing to compete? Yeah, they, you know, look, they have uh, low cost units uh, that that they believe in. Air Busan and Air Seoul, these two uh, low cost units, and they want to grow them. They want to do more um, long haul flying with, with 
with their their mainline airline and then they're getting better planes to do it you know uh, a350s are replacing 747s that'll certainly help uh a321 neos i mentioned a moment ago a great plane um joining the uh the narrow body fleet to, to fly uh, domestically and regionally they're doing a lot but you said it jason uh you know with 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 uh, korean now um, having joined with delta Asiana is strategically challenged by the fact that it, it can't really match that. You know, the, the U.S. big three, so I'm talking to, to the U.S. at least, which, which is a very important uh, overseas market for, for uh, South Korea. Um, you know, the, the U.S. big three are kind of all taken at this point. Um, you know, American and United have their joint ventures with with uh, uh, with, with Japan Airlines and All Nippon in Japan um, and, and Delta now with uh, with Korean. So Asiana, hard to imagine ever being really more than than in a little bit more of an arm's length partner with, you know, in its case, United is its, its closer partner, closest partner in the U.S. You know, when you look at the uh, at its opportunities and you look at the fact that it already has that sizable margin gap, which has been there for several years now, although yeah, lots going well. Cargo with them too. All the same kinds of trends that are benefiting Korean. Uh, difficult though to see what's going to help them close the gap with Korean, since Korean has all of those benefits plus now uh, the uh, the joint venture with Delta. Let's move on to another storied airline rivalry: Air Canada versus WestJet. It used to be that WestJet routinely bested Air Canada. That's not so anymore, as Air Canada has crafted its own renaissance. We wrote in Airline Weekly that Air Canada's rise was best summed up with this statistic. From 2010 through 2017, Air Canada's international ASKs have increased 81%, according to DO schedule data. 81%, yeah. Um, and, and that's partly because of uh, Rouge, it, it, its low-cost unit. Um, but Air Canada has also densified uh, it, its fleet, including its, its mainline aircraft, especially its, its, its wide bodies, uh, about as aggressively as, as any airline around the world. And it's just it's just operating. You know, it's just flying in more places, all all kinds of places around the world, um, and its international network is doing well. I mean, look, uh, Brazil is a weak spot, but it's it, it recovered nicely. Uh, Japan, South Korea, Taiwan, Australia, all doing very well. Uh, India, you know, which which uh, Air Canada didn't even serve all that long ago. It had been there many years ago and then then stopped it. Uh, revenues in India, it said spiked 22% last quarter on just uh, uh, 14% more ASK capacity. Your cargo revenues, everybody's saying this, uh, rose sharply. This is an airline that has become a, a huge intercontinental player growing, you know, by some measures, well, by some measures, just the, the fastest growing intercontinental airline in the world. And, um, you know, a big part of its strategy is, is six freedom connections. So these are people who uh, are transiting Canada on their way from one country that's not Canada to another country that's not Canada, uh, of course, most prominently, but not only uh, traveling between the U.S. and uh, then other places in the world, Europe and Asia, also also uh, Latin America and other places in the world. Meanwhile, WestJet is not taking any of this lying down. In fact, in Airline Weekly, we describe them as perhaps the most strategically active airline in the business. Seth, what does that mean? Yeah, WestJet. I mean, they're 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 going big. They're going s- small. They're Going ultra, they're going together, right? Um, going big. I mean, uh, 
uh, flying, you know, flying long haul, taking Dreamliners um, with their 767 experiment, having from from their perspective anyway, performed well. So yeah, more of that to come. They're going to be flying around the world, going to be challenging Air Canada and and and, and Air others um, in the intercontinental markets. On the other hand, I said they're going small. I'm talking about the turboprops. You know, they've built up WestJet Encore um, and, and, and looking to do more of, of that uh, um, that small plane flying, penetrating deeper into uh, uh, the secondary and tertiary markets in, in Canada that um, Air Canada once had to itself. Uh, going ultra, I mean ultra LCC service, what they call it Swoop. So this is, uh, you know, they're, they're going to, they say let really let swoop do its own thing plan its own markets it's already announced uh, yeah some service from from secondary markets low fare service in canada so there you know you're trying to on one hand dissuade ultra lcc competition from other independent ultra lccs in canada you know on the other hand compete also against the uh, ultra lccs just across the border allegiant and spirit most prominently in in uh the, you know places like niagara falls and Plattsburgh and, and Bellingham and you know, all along the border that that compete for um, for a lot of the trans border business uh, and uh, going together with Delta right their new um, joint venture partner so and that that of course is is uh, still at this point all in the future but yeah here here you've got a, a low cost carrier joint venture partner uh, for Delta joining I guess you could say Virgin Australia is another but you know most their partners are are. Uh, legacy airlines of one sort or the other. Um, but then again, when you see everything that WestJet is doing, what are they anymore? Um, you know, the, the, they're certainly not that uh, that uh, one fleet type, you know, one class uh, low cost carrier that uh, started in Canada a couple decades ago. For both these airlines, what are you most curious to see play out in 2018? Well, they're both trying things that uh, that are tough, right? Uh, you know, Air Canada. I mentioned Rouge. Uh, now we know Air Canada is is, uh, is is doing well overall. We don't they don't break out figures for Rouge, so we don't know if that's really because of Rouge or despite Rouge. But we know that low cost long haul flying is 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 tough um in in general so you know they're sort of out of their comfort zone you might say by by doing that and westjet is is out of its comfort zone in in several ways all those ways that i mentioned before it's, it's being a short haul lcc is is uh you know is a pretty good way to make money um but they themselves have a low lower cost subsidiary with swoop that's small plane flying with encore intercontinental flying um you know all of that, uh, you know, these are all things that a lot of times as low cost carriers try to get into those kinds of businesses, um, their margins deteriorate. Right now, by the way, uh, for perspective, and you mentioned uh, you know, questionnaire Canada nipping at WestJet's heels for the moment. WestJet still the um, the slightly more profitable airline on an annual basis uh, with a better about a point better than Air Canada a ten percent versus a a nine percent operating margin uh, for all of 2017, uh, which for both of those airlines was about a point lower than it had been a year earlier. So um, uh, you know these are two airlines that are that are doing fine, uh, clearly not doing as well as as most of their brethren. Uh, across the border to the south. But yeah, both trying a lot of things. Uh, if anything, WestJet trying more things. Uh, let's see if, if those uh, if those things add up to uh, to higher profits or, or, or just um, more complexity without the profits to show it. I don't know the answer. We touched on most of the US carriers in recent episodes, but one we didn't get to was Spirit because it reported earnings later than the rest. 
Spirit continues to do well, but it's also seen profit margins shrink. In Q4, the operating margin was 13%. That was down from 16% in the same quarter the year before and 23% the year before that. Seth, how is Spirit doing really? The year-round operating margins also, uh, you know, they went from 24% in 2015 to 21% in 2016. And then down to 15% in, uh, in in 2017. Now, look again for perspective. We just said, hey, our Canada's you know doing doing very very well with a nine percent margin, right? And here we're talking about how how far Spirit has fallen to a fifteen percent margin. So, um, you know, by by most standards, it's um it, it's it's doing very well. You might remember there's a pilot, uh, well, an alleged pilot sick out halfway through the year that uh, hurt operations. So Spirit has really been working to improve its operations. And in fact, it, it, it's achieved that. It's, it's, it's become a more reliable airline, um, but that's expensive to do. So yeah, it's, it has to get the mix right. Uh, look, all of these ultra low cost carriers in the US are kind of being forced to, well, I'll say it again. I said it a minute ago talking about Air Canada or WestJet, but you know, kind of play outside their comfort zone, kind of play an away game, you might say, in sports terms, right? You like playing on your home field or your home pitch. You know, when you're a, an ultra low cost carrier being forced to kind of chase revenue, being forced to, you know, talk about how reliable you are, no longer able to rely on just being very cheap because your competitors are very cheap too. Your your higher frills competitors are very cheap too. Um, you know, it's, that is a more difficult environment uh, for for these airlines. But Spirit likes a lot of what's going on. It doesn't mind the fact that United, uh, for example, is is chasing more small city traffic, uh, connecting traffic because uh, thinks that could be good for the. The routes where Spirit competes, Spirit, of course, the other ultra low cost carriers are what have forced United to kind of look elsewhere because it can't rely on just the nonstop local, you know, Chicago to Los Angeles traveler anymore as much. Uh, so it thinks that's fine if United's going to going to focus more on the small cities. Um, but look, out there for Spirit still is a new pilot contract, uh, and at some point here they're going to come to terms. Uh, you know, they have they have a a, a uh, an agreement in principle, but uh, you know whether or not pilots ratify this one or something else, pilot costs are going to go up. So this for an airline whose margins are already well off their highs, um, you know all things being equal, you'd expect that those margins to be further dented by whatever the outcome is of of the new pilot contract because. One way or another, the pilots are going to get raises. And if Spirit is disappointed or even questioning its 13% operating margin, the next airline must be devastated. Norwegian posted a negative 16% operating profit margin in the fourth quarter. It feels like we haven't seen these numbers in a long time. The economy is good. Oil prices are stable. Demand is good. So if that's all good... What's wrong? Yeah, and and um, and just in case anybody thinks, oh well, that's the fourth quarter; it's an off-peak quarter. You know, uh, well, maybe their full-year margin is even scarier. It's not as low as that, but uh, for the full year, you know, including the great third quarter in Europe and all of it, a negative six percent operating margin, which is um, as as about as bad as anybody in the world. You know, Nok Air out of Thailand is probably going to be lower after they report, but just absolutely awful and uh yeah it's it's um it's it's a good environment in europe now they, they were an operational mess um you know and they say oh so you know that's that's um you know basically of course that's probably not going to repeat itself they've gotten their hands around that um so so that's kind of the case for for optimism 
Um, but on the other hand, you know, can you expect that confluence of, of, of good forces, you know, between the great economy and all the competition from Mayor Berlin and, and Monarch going away and all the rest of it? Um, you know, can, can you expect that much luck again in, uh, you know, in, in 2018? Uh, their CEO, Bjorn Coast, um, speaking to Bloomberg, said, quote, uh, the best thing about 2017 is that it's now 2018. Uh, Jason, I would say to you, he just has to hope that the best thing about 2018 is not that it's not 2019. Because, uh, you know, if, if you're looking for an inflection point here, or something that's going to turn this airline around, you know, let's see how it does in the first quarter. Its first quarter last year was uh, was dreadful. I pulled up the figure a minute ago. Let me find it here. Yeah, negative. 28% operating margin the first quarter of last year. So it seems like that shouldn't be hard to beat. And uh, and that would be a hopeful sign. Uh, you know, obviously, they're not going to do well in the first quarter. Most airlines don't uh, in, in Europe. But you'd, you'd want to see them improve upon that because for uh, a number of quarters here, just uh, sequentially and year over year, we've just seen that, that deterioration to a point here where they um, look, they're still a solvent airline. Their balance sheet doesn't yet look like you know Air Berlin's looked like at the end, um, but their operating results are 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 getting to that point. Um, so uh, they still have a lot of assets, you know, planes they can lease out and then you know and sell sell leasebacks, all the rest of it. But uh, at some point, the airline itself is is uh, is going to have to start doing better than it's doing, especially in an environment as good as this one. And in an effort to end on a positive note, longtime listeners know that's part of our value system. <laughs> Let's turn to Norwegian's neighbor, Finnair. Seth, can the case be made that Finnair just had its best year ever? Yeah, more, more than a case to be made. I, uh, that's that's what happened. Um, yeah, for, for the year, an operating margin of 7%, which for Finnair is excellent. Uh, and gosh, a, a year when most airlines... Even ones who did rather well actually saw their margins deteriorate at least a bit. Uh, that seven percent compares to two percent a year earlier, and and when one percent uh, the year before that. So an excellent uh, trajectory. Uh, you know that quote I said about uh, you know, where the Norwegian CEO said he's glad 2017's behind it. Uh, you know, Finnair probably wanted 2017 never um, to end, and. Um, Look, it, it, it's it's uh, this this is an airline that connects Europe with Asia. Uh, I mentioned earlier that, that I think we were talking about the South Korean airlines that uh, you know there's been a, a dramatic recovery in demand, tourism demand from Asia to Europe. You know, Finnair was there to uh, to take advantage of that. Um, and and by the way, even in the fourth quarter, you know, where you can feel lucky just to break even, you know, Finnair. Finnair pulled off a four percent uh, operating margin for that quarter. Uh, that same quarter where Norwegian had that negative sixteen percent margin. So really, really excellent. You know, we ran a, a graph in this week's uh, issue. Uh, if you get the newsletter, you you might have seen it. I think on page four, um, a line graph showing uh, the operating margin starting in two thousand ten for Finnair, SAS. And Norwegian, and it's pretty dramatic how uh, you know Finnair and SAS have both um, you know both well off their lows going in the right direction, and Norwegian uh, going very much in the other direction. If you don't get the newsletter, uh, you know, email Jason or jump on our, our airlineweekly.com and just request a free trial, and uh, J- Jason will, will uh, send you one. I hope I didn't uh, 
just complicate your week, Jason. Right. I'll be on email all morning tomorrow. Um, <laughs> no worries. We wrote in Airline Weekly that Finnair is, by some measures, the biggest European carrier in Japan and the second biggest in China. First, that's really surprising or at least counterintuitive. Second, that sounds like Finnair is in a terrific position going forward. A terrific position right now, uh, that's for sure. And a terrific position going forward as long as conditions remain as they are right now. Look, we've written about Finnair in the past that they are a one-trick pony. Um, you know, they're, they're, they've got this amazing hub, uh, the geography, really incredible to connect Northeast Asia with, uh, with Europe. Um, and, and, and some of it you just, you know, all it takes is you look at a map and you see where they're positioned. Um, and, and more than that, Jason, just from an airline economics perspective, they can serve uh, most of those Northeast Asian markets with just one aircraft in a 24-hour period is able to fly to Asia and fly back. Uh, one aircraft is able to to do the round trip, whereas um, any other airline, even SAS, I mean, it, you know, in global terms, it looks pretty similar. Just you know, kind of the Scandinavian capital is just a bit to the west, but it's just enough of a difference that they need more than one aircraft, and, and so it, it's 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 great. But you know, of course, when when things turn bad in terms of demand between Europe and Asia. Um, which can happen, you know. If you're going to live by that, you're also going to die by that. So they have, um, yeah. You pick your cliche: one trick pony, a lot of eggs in one basket. They have it, um, but they've they've embraced it, and um, and, and uh, certainly a, a a good place to be right now. All right, we started with Ryanair and finished with Finnair by way of a couple other continents and a bunch of other countries. And we did all that without leaving the safety and warmth of the Airline Weekly Lounge. For Seth Kaplan, I'm Jason Cottrell. Thanks for joining us. This podcast has been sponsored by the book Glory Lost and Found, How Delta Climbed from Despair to Dominance in the Post-9-11 Era. <laughs>